This podcast contains material and language that may be disturbing to some listeners. While not explicit, listener discretion is advised. David and Shane discuss their random paranormal adventures and stories. We dive into paranormal cases from the past and the present. We also talk about what got us into the paranormal, the highlights, and the scary moments while on our adventures. This is Shane, and you are listening to Bear River Paranormal Podcast. Hey everybody, just before this episode starts, we just want to let you know that we have switched platforms. We were on Spreaker, but we have moved over to Anchor now. So all of our information will be updated and everything, so that way you guys can go straight to Anchor or to Spotify or wherever you get your podcast. Thank you. Hey everybody, thank you so much for tuning in. My name is Shane. And this is David. On today's episode of the BRP Podcast... We are going to be talking about all things stone tape theory. David is going to lead on this particular topic. So, David, go right ahead. Okay. So, stone tape theory is used a little bit. It's not used as often, but basically what it is is that it's a speculation that ghosts and hauntings and various things are recorded onto stuff like a mental impressions during emotional or traumatic events that can project their energy onto stuff so like most prominently uh what you hear this from is if like a murder takes place in a house and there's a mirror facing it and that mirror basically captures that murder that takes place all the energy and stuff that goes into it it's almost like recording it And then later down the road, if that mirror is still there, it almost like replays that type of energy feeling that's happened there. So that's essentially what the stone tape theory is. It could be any type of object that can do that. But there's certain objects that obviously can do it better, such as a mirror or certain stones, like houses that are built differently with stones and brick. They can capture energy and hold it more so that's that's essentially what the stone tape theory is and that's where you get a lot more not so much intelligent hauntings but you get um what's the word i'm looking for where it's not intelligent hauntings uh residual residual hauntings yeah where it's mostly and we talked about what residual basically is it's not something that you can interact with you're just like seeing shadows or hearing noises it's just stuff that's happening based on what happened there before Mm -hmm. um so yeah you get a lot more residual cases when it comes to dealing with the stone tape theory and i personally believe in the stone tape theory i think it makes a lot of sense with energies being stored and stuff and dealing with mirrors is a no-brainer that if something happens like that that you can get a lot of things and energies to happen in your house. Because one of the things that 
what they say to do is when someone dies in the house, I think what coroners do and stuff like that when, when they move the body or a practice that most people know is to cover up mirrors when doing anything with the body in a case that the soul doesn't get trapped in the mirrors. I'm pretty sure that's why they do that. Because mirrors are essentially the thin veil between our world and the next world, the mirror world. Mm -hmm. And so if mirrors are exposed, when a person dies and they're lingering in that moment, they can potentially get trapped in between worlds without being able to move on. Mm -hmm. But that's essentially the stone tape theory. There's really not much else that I know of or I'm aware of doing any type of research that there's more of. But I think if you go to like the more eastern side of the United States where you got more the colonial build stuff where they built using more of those stones and stuff, those older buildings versus what we use now with like brick and wood and all that. Those houses are more likely to be haunted, whether it be, you know, residual. Because, yeah, they're built with that stone that's mined there on the earth and right where they are built it, basically. And obviously because it's older. Mm -hmm. But the other thing that is also tied in with the stone tape a little bit is uh, water. So what I find uh, about water, mostly uh, like rivers and streams that's flowing is that it's basically can be used to two things. One, I see it as like a, a highway for spirits. It's kind of the best way I use to describe it, that spirits can use water to travel from one area to the other without quote unquote using a portal. Because in the way I used to describe it to make sense to people is uh, how we use rivers we put water wheels, right? So the wheel turns and we get electricity. Well, it's like the same thing for spirits, but they don't need the water wheel. Flowing water is like constantly creating a source of energy for spirits. Mm -hmm. And that's why I feel like they can use that as constant source of energy to move from one place to the other. And then where you have businesses or buildings or places that are near running water, they're more likely the spirits that are there and do stay in that area can draw power from the adjoining river that can increase in uh, activity from spirits. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's my theory on running water. And, but when it comes to like just standing water, like still water or water in your house, I mostly don't think spirits can really use it for anything other than just the elements in it being a, a natural element that is balanced in your house. Hmm. But if you have like a moving, flowing water of like greater proportion, I think you can almost be used as like a type of energy source. Hmm. And that's another thing that why a lot of people in their yards or in their houses like have like miniature waterfalls because it's like kind of creating a little bit of energy for them personally that they, they, they can use mm -hmm. and it also balances their house out too as long as they have the all four elements yes but uh i mean we've had cases that you know involve running water nearby and 
I think it supports a lot of the stuff that we've experienced on cases, whether it be businesses or residentials. And it's very interesting because it's tough mostly when it's a residential because whatever is there, we can clear it. But then the homeowners have to know that just because we cleared out these spirits, other spirits can still come by. Because if my theory that I use is right, it's a highway and so other spirits can just use it and travel it and then just see this place and like, oh, this is a nice spot. And then they just kind of stop and stay. But what we can do to give the homeowners some ease is kind of like bind or put a barrier around their house. So even though around their land, spirits can come by, we can kind of protect spirits from coming into their home to a point. So, I mean, that's a little bit of more of a comfort to those people that we explain it to. But mm -hmm. it's, it's very interesting. I mean, the natives covet rivers. I mean, they always put their villages next to rivers and they're very spiritual when it comes to flowing water and rivers so there's already a lot of energy and mystics to water in of itself mm -hmm. so when it comes to water in general I mean, my favorite type of water that i experience is, is uh, ogden canyon because it's got it, a waterfall there and there's native ties to that area and i think that whole canyon is is full of energy and I water is very interesting mm -hmm. but not much thought in the paranormal field to my knowledge goes into thinking about that type of stuff so yeah that's just one of the things that I like to have in my back pocket so when we go to places and it's like there's running water then I can put mm -hmm. that into my mind when I'm thinking about what's going on here mm -hmm. Now, with the stone tape theory, now it can apply to just stones, it could apply to wood, it could ap apply to mirrors, stuff like that. Now, what if, for say, people were mining these particular stones to make cinder blocks and build a house out of, out of a local river? Well, what happens if 150 years ago there was a massacre right next to that river? Do you think that imprint would be stuck on those stones before it was even harvested from the ground? To be built for a house do you think that's a plausible thing so like the materials there they got them from where they originated from if a spirit was attached to it and then they brought it like across states and then build a house there if a spirit would now be haunting that home mm -hmm. i don't know uh, under the guides of like the stone tape theory that one's a little interesting because i don't think we've ever come across that type of case before mm -hmm. i know people before they even build their house, like brand new house, building it, they say they have, it's haunted, but mostly we accumulate that to being, well, ties to the land, that it, your land could have been haunted before you mm -hmm. built there. Mm -hmm. I guess we've never really thought about or come across any type of evidence that suggests that some of their material that they used to build their house was already had some type of energy or attachments to it. Mm -hmm. So I guess that's something that we can try to look into more in the future when asking our questions and trying to get evidence. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to that same type of thing, that uh, residual, you can't really pinpoint where the residual is coming from. You can just kind of know that it's residual and get evidence that it's residual. But I don't think you can pinpoint to an extent what's causing the residual. 
because there's not much energy to it. There's just enough for you to get a little bit here and there. I mean, maybe people who are more gifted than I can potentially do that. But to me, I don't think you can right now. Yeah, because essentially the stone tape theory and residual hauntings kind of go hand in hand. Because residual, like we've talked about in previous episodes, is something that happens over and over and over again. Like if someone were to walk the certain path in their house, they're going to do that in death. Even if the house got renovated and walls got moved and doorways got moved, the spirit's still going to be walking the same path over and over again. And essentially that type of energy is stuck to those particular components like stone, wood, mirrors, stuff like that. And it will portray that energy and everything. Like... Um, years ago before i even started my team i did a theater locally here and at one point in time there was a fire that broke out in this theater and every day on that particular time when the fire happened and all the chaos erupted you could feel it in the whole entire theater while you're standing there you could just feel like chaos just erupted in this building and it feels like everybody's running which way possible and then you'd get a slight whiff or two of smoke and then it would be dissipated and then all goes back to normal and that kind of stuff happens when traumatic things happen deaths murders rapes stuff like that that kind of stuff gets imprinted into the fabric of your entire house whether it be wood stone mirrors another example of a stone tape theory is haunted mirrors like david was talking about particularly like the belly lugosi mirror and some of the other ones those have energies from when those particular people were doing the malicious intent that they were doing me personally i've seen the belly lugosi mirror david's seen the belly lugosi mirror at the haunted museum down in las vegas and the energy that emits off of that particular mirror it's uh it could definitely turn a gut i tell you that much yes that whole museum was interesting i don't know if we do you want to talk about it at some point that whole museum and that experience yeah because i've been there a couple times you've been there once we can do a whole episode on that yeah, I'd have to get some memory on it, but I mean, it was it was very it was very interesting place. Mm-hmm. I can say that nothing really happened to any of us that went. Yeah, like nothing. I don't think anything attached to us or like physically affected us. Yeah, like harm wise, but it it was very interesting to walk through it and see some of the stuff that 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 he has there, no doubt. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think it'd be. A, a good little side topic one time to just talk about yeah and then in regards to um, when you were talking about some of the stuff over on the east coast some of that stuff can happen over here on the west coast as well where we're at so a lot of a lot of places here they tend to repurpose buildings so for example if you go up to lava hot springs the lava hot springs Inn used to be a hospital there used to be an old hospital here in Logan that they've converted into apartments. I believe there was one over in Brigham City as well that got turned into apartments. The TB hospital up in Gooding got converted into like a 
uh, B&B, bed and breakfast type hotel. Well, didn't in Brigham City where the native school was, they built apartments right there? Yeah. And when they tore down the schools, they also built apartments. There's still a good chunk of land that they haven't built on yet, but they did tear down those buildings. The point that I was getting to with that, like, particularly hospitals. So when a hospital gets converted over to, like, a hotel or apartments and stuff like that, depending on which area of the hospital where the surgical room or the ER and stuff like that was. The little morgues and stuff. In yeah, there. the morgues and stuff like that. You're going to get that stone tape theory happening in that location as well. Could be residual, could be intelligent, but essentially you're during certain parts of the day you're going to feel that chaos as if someone was trying to get revived back to life and the hustle and bustle of what a busy hospital would be back in the day and it could negatively affect you to a point you could feel like you could be getting a sense of anxiety a sense of urgency stuff like that at random times of the day and really to only combat that you kind of have to balance your area out and you have to do regular cleansings to keep everything at bay because essentially all of that is stuck in the stone and the wood and everything and it's always going to be there. But you can ratify it to a point to where it can be enjoyable to live there, if that makes sense. Do you think intelligent spirits can use the energy of the residual energy that's there to kind of bolster themselves a bit, to give themselves energy? I think it's a plausible theory, to be honest with you, because... Once you're a spirit, you can use energy from anything, literally. You can use it from the ground, you can use it from water, you can use it from the sun, man-made electronics. Certain malicious entities will use the energy of other spirits to make themselves stronger and bigger and... and Living people. Yeah, and, and all that. So, I think it is a plausible plausible thing because really once you turn into a spirit you can get energy from anything for good and or bad yeah i wonder how many intelligent spirits actually hide behind the residual energy that's going on i'm like because i wonder if they can see almost like a like where they feel like the human entity that's there is like full shaped Mm -hmm. and where the residual energy that they see is like a wispier kind of cloudier version of a human that's doing the act. I wonder if they can see that and kind of interact with that in that way to where they can kind of hide underneath that residual energy. Yeah, honestly, I think it I think it can be plausible. The only way really to know is once we die and everything, but that's obviously going to be too late. I'm wondering if there's any type of experiment that we could use for that. I don't know. I guess it'd just be asking questions and hopefully we get a response to it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. But I'm pretty sure that's all I have on that theory. The stone tape theory is basically a very, very straightforward thing. And it coincides with residual hauntings as well. It's basically, it's, it's right there with it. But we wanted to touch on this particular subject 
so that way you guys are more well informed on what it truly is. For the case that we're going to talk about today, we're going to talk about Cat's Creations. Now, this was a little boutique wedding store right there in the heart of Old Town Pocatello, Idaho. If I remember correctly, she reached out needing help, and a few people have responded, but I believe we were the only ones that actually went up there and investigated the place. The building was definitely older, and it was right there just in the historic district of Pocatello, and it's a beautiful area if, if anybody's ever been to Pocatello. I personally like Pocatello. I think it's a neat little college town. And it kind of reminds me so much of Ogden, Utah, because Ogden, Utah is a college town as well, but both towns are centered around the railway system. So that's where I get the similarities from, because both towns have had the same type of history. I mean, they've had problems with alcohol, they've had problems with prostitution, gangs, deaths, stuff like that. So, both these towns are pretty unique in their own aspect, but I think they're kind of like each other, you know? Like, Pocatello's the red-headed stepchild of Idaho, and Ogden's the red-headed stepchild of Utah. But we went to this particular location. The owner of the business, who was there at the time, she was super nice, well-informative. She informed us about the tenants that lived upstairs, because she was renting the building. She didn't own the building. And she told us about all the different type of activities she was getting in her location and everything. Footsteps, knocks, voices, all nine yards. So I had myself and a few other people with me on this particular investigation. We went up there, set everything up, started doing EVP burst sessions, trying to get a line of communication. We did get quite a few EVPs. However, we did debunk a lot of things too. So a lot of the noises from upstairs could reverberate itself down into the building. So we were able to determine a lot of the noises were coming from upstairs, from the tenants that lived upstairs. So a lot of the stuff could be explained, but there was a few other things that couldn't be explained. The basement just had an eerie, odd feeling. And then the back hallway, it felt like you had about a vertigo every time when you walked through that hallway. However, later on, we were able to determine that the reason why you were feeling that was because the floor was uneven. It was actually so uneven to the point where if you stepped in a particular spot, you threw off your equilibrium just a little bit. It felt like you were rocking at sea. And the way that we were determined that was we got a couple balls and we rolled them down the hallway and they were just weaving back and forth. They would hit the low spots, and then obviously from the inertia, they would get out of that low spot, and then it would attract itself to another low spot. So we were able to determine that the hallway itself is not paranormal, because the fact that the floor was so uneven that it's actually throwing your own balance off. Outside of that, though, there were spirits in there. We did capture what looked like a silhouette of a child in the mirror, We've caught quite a few EVPs, and I do, if I remember correctly, we did catch some video evidence as well. So anything that we've captured on this particular case, we will upload it to our group page so that way you guys can see it, hear it, and all that good jazz. 
and if I have any EVPs, it will be inserted into this episode as well, so that way you guys can hear some of the evidence that we've captured. But all in all, it was a great investigation. I mean, it was great to get up to Pocatello, to the old part of Pocatello, and investigate a building that's been there for at least 150 years. And honestly, I would love to go back there again. I don't know who's in that building now. As far as I'm aware, she has moved into a new location once, maybe twice. But I do believe that the business is still up and running. But that investigation was a really fun one. So, like I said before, I will post up everything so that way you guys can see and maybe get your opinions on it. Outside of that, it's a pretty straightforward investigation. You know what I like about when we go to different places? Hmm. Especially places that, you know, I don't go to on a normal in my life. Like, mm-hmm. I, there's places that we investigated. I'm like, yeah, unless I did this, I don't think I'd ever be at this place, right? In this area. It's yeah. uh, trying different foods. I like going to different investigations and figuring out, oh, where should we eat? And like, oh, this place might be good. And then try it and then find out, oh, that's a new favorite spot spot of mine that no oh, yeah whenever we're down here we gotta we gotta eat here for sure yeah every place that we go to we try to do something new if not we'll go to the same restaurant we've been to before that we know we've gotten quality food from and some of the places i've never even thought about trying out like that uh what was that place called pepitos on 25th street that was right next to warren's oh yeah it's like a what did they do there it was like a like a Philly cheesesteak sandwich yeah, place. Yeah, yeah, Philly. Like that. Yeah, I mean it was pretty good. Yeah, I wouldn't have done it. I mean I don't. There's not many Philly places around here. I think there's a few that I know of around the between Logan to Layton mm-hmm. that I know that are pretty decent. But yeah, I don't. Philly sandwiches aren't really that common around here. I don't think. Yeah. Uh, you and I discovered Warren's, which was right next door. That was years ago. You discovered Burley Burger, and then you in- introduced it to me. Let's see, we tried that. What was it? Little Taste of London, I think that place was called, right there in Layton. Yeah, it was very interesting, because it was like half like a little store that all their imported stuff was from the UK, and then they had like a little like deli-style type of eating establishment to the on the right side of it that you know they had like their fish and chips and stuff like that but it it tasted pretty good for you know being where we are in utah i don't really trust much seafood because Mm -hmm. i know majority of it's not fresh but it was it was pretty good the the batter that they do on it i think it is probably what what did it yeah that was near where was that near that was near that was right there in layton layton yeah it was close to by hill in it yeah yeah. Yeah, and then we headed up to Hobbs Hollow right after that. That was when we first, uh, our first investigation. Very first time we did it, yeah. Yeah. Which we got a lot of good stuff. Yeah. And then and the uh, second time that we did it, which got even more good stuff. Oh, yeah. That we didn't know was there as well. And then I think we're planning on going there again. Yep, this summer. For our, our third time which will be interesting because we went the both times we went the first time we went the water was high so it was like you know well, level. the first time we went the water was low oh was so like vice the, versa it was in october 
if I remember correctly. Right, so the water was a little drained and low. Then the second time, the water was higher. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's what it was. There, One was high, one was low. Because when we went, the one time, we were able to go pretty deep to where the water would be over our head at some point. Yeah, and that's where we got a lot of our good evidence, especially well, yeah. corresponding evidence to all of our research we did on this particular location. And for the people that aren't from Utah, particularly northern Utah, Hobbs Hollow is technically a drainage irrigation reservoir man-made that reservoir, was man-made. Yeah. So all of the winter runoff would go into this particular reservoir and then they would distribute the water across the city for irrigation purposes and all that good jazz. So by the time October came around, it was super low. So we were able to go pretty far down into the reservoir where all these drownings happened uh, and stuff like that. So we were able to get words and names and stuff like that that would come through the sb7 spirit box the digital recorder and the ovulus 5 that would correspond with our research that we did on the property because there was quite a few deaths uh there's like seven or eight i think one was undisclosed name because it was a child that mm-hmm. was you know too young mm-hmm. i think that one was the only suspicious death because someone was walking by and they just see a dog looking out in the water and you see this little boy face down in the water floating mm-hmm. so if a little boy's just walking his dog I can't imagine that you know but the other ones were more just sus- suspicious drowning like mm-hmm. people who just were swimming and they just drowned but it's the type of people that are swimming and drowned that are like some of the mil- are military men from the base nearby mm-hmm. and those guys are, should be pretty decent swimmers so the fact that they just drowned is uh, very suspicious and yeah, you got seven people that died or were found mm-hmm. in the water. And one of them was submerged. So, like, they know he drowned. They saw him, mm-hmm. called the police, but his body never floats up. And when you when you die in the water and you you float, mm-hmm. for, my, for my knowledge, and they actually had to, I think, throw some dynamite into the water to get his body to submerge up. But a lot of that can be experienced because a lot of people say, oh, there's a, an evil spirit, a witch or whatever that makes you drown. You know, folklore starts getting built up in the area. But what I thought, thinking about it logically, was if they're, if it's a man-made reservoir that they have, you know, probably pumps and stuff that starts sucking the water to get, you know, disperse, there could have been some type of like undertow or something that kind of sucked them into like a, in place. Yeah. that you couldn't visibly see on the surface but it could have just created like a little type of vortex that kind of kept him underwater mm-hmm. that he just swam over a certain area so they they highly discourage people from swimming in it for those obvious reasons I think and so I think that's more of an explained reason why a lot of those people drowned mm-hmm. like I said except for like a few of them that were kind of like more suspicious did someone just dump a body here or actually drown someone here that a person did it which is definitely explainable especially when it comes from a man-made reservoir that they were using primarily for irrigation nowadays they do have signs up that say you know no swimming don't get in the water stuff like that so that way that kind of stuff doesn't happen again because it's kind of like the same thing as when you go into the ocean and there's going to be that undercurrent as well so if you get stuck in that undercurrent it's going to pull you out into the ocean that's kind of the same concept it just pulled you underneath the water and then you drown and then it's hard to recover your body because of that 
that uh, undertow is just keeping your body down there where the where the pumps are at and they literally have to go down and get your body or just dynamite the whole thing again so yeah i think on that one we actually got a photo that i think's one of my favorite photos of a potential orb and i know i say orb and it's ah but uh looking at it like not even zoomed up yet it's pretty cool but then zooming up to me it resembles like a planet Mm-hmm. It's like a bluish color to it, to me, where I've never seen a type of orb like it before. And it's like over the water. And yeah. I know it's not a bug looking at it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if it's definitely not dust, because dust doesn't really emit that type of color. It was one of the most craziest orbs mm-hmm. I've seen in a picture. Yeah. And obviously we'll go into detail when we get to that episode and we talk about this particular investigation, because we've We've already been there twice, and we're going to be going there a third time. So we'll definitely do another recap on Ops Hollow and go more in depth. When we did the Boston building, that pizza place was also really good, too. The wings were phenomenal at that place as well. Yeah. I never investigated it, but I did think we ate there. Oh, yeah, that's right. You weren't there when we investigated it. But But we uh, did eat there. Yeah, we we did take you there to eat there, and it was really good. Then we've ate at a couple places up in Idaho. Um, Famous Dave's is a good one to head up when we go up to Idaho Falls. Yeah. We, we did Bamboo Gardens and Pocatello. Oh, and uh, Hometown. Is it Hometown Drive-In? No. It's uh... oh, what's a park up there. But there's this little drive-in in Pocatello that actually makes really good burgers. Their tacos are decent. Their taco spaghetti is actually really good as oh, well. Oh, dim- Diamond Cattle and Soda. Oh, yeah, Diamond Cattle. Oh, the Tomahawk Steak was by far the best one I've had to date, and it was really good up there. Locally yeah, my owned first tomahawk. beef, veggies, the whole nine yards, and it was really good. Yeah, that's really cool because, yeah, they're, all their cattle is they have them themselves. You know, They have their own type of brand and everything, so they raise and feed their mm-hmm. cattle themselves so literally it's like probably one of the freshest meats i've had yeah we've been to the one in soda and then we've been to the one in montpelier too the soda one's cool because um it's in like a converted motel yeah i think it was the enders hotel yeah and so i mean just eating there the few times we've been there we're like always like we really want to go upstairs where it's roped off because we know there's stuff up there. So oh, like yeah. Just feeling it while we're eating. Mm-hmm. Cool building. Yeah. Definitely That's really cool, cool building. And then and Soda had, Springs itself is just pretty yeah. crazy, too. Then they had that taxidermied bear right there where we were sitting. Was it a bear? Oh, yeah. yeah, it was a bear. Yeah, they have, I think they had a few things. I think they had a cougar mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. Wasn't as cool as that jackalope that we saw over the weekend. Oh, <laughs> yeah. The, the elusive jackalope. Right. Oh, man. That was a fun investigation. Well, more of a cleansing, but we did use some equipment for it. Yeah, a little bit, yeah. We'll see what we get EVP-wise, but yeah. we. I mean, the EMF in there alone, I mean, it's a pretty old house, but very, very tiny. But just the natural EMF in there was just resting was Mm -hmm. pretty, pretty high. Mm -hmm. So that could be, you know, a lot of problems in of itself naturally. And the fact that the mail meter was just going off by itself in that little closet in the master bedroom. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. Like, the 
I don't know, it was weird, because the more up to the ceiling you got, it, the more higher it got, but it's there's it's a closet. There really shouldn't be that much wires running, so unless it's really unprotected, uninsulated uh, wires being ran there. Mm-hmm. there. Yeah, there's just a lot of high EMF. But I will give you that, though, David. You Your dream was correct on it, and your theory on what was outside was also correct as well. Yeah, I mean, the, the what's outside was uh, it's still in the air because obviously we didn't specifically see it mm-hmm. with our own eyes. But everything that my research led to think what was there is more and more plausible. Mm-hmm. But with my dream, be it that I dreamt about that location, yeah, was I think was was on point. Yeah, the fact that it was gothic style, the fact that it was kind of cluttered in certain areas, you were literally right on the spot with your dream. And then what we ended up dealing with too, that was didn't it's not what it looked like in my dream because in my dream it looked like a little girl, mm-hmm. but I guess really I don't know what an elemental looks like, so I had to put a face to it in my mind. Mm-hmm. And I guess what's scary to me is a little girl. Hmm. But yeah, that was pretty. First time going after a Earth elemental, and that was intense, to say the least. Some broken glass that happened. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it, gosh, we we pretty much as soon as we got there. I mean, we didn't really set up too much equipment or do much. We did a couple baselines, but we were there just cleansing. I think for three hours. Yeah, it ended up clocking in at about three and a half hours. And that's just cleansing. That's not really getting there, kind of sitting around, you know, getting a feel, you know. Mm-hmm. I think I was just right when we started taking our stuff out and cleansing. Yeah. So and that's, that, that's a tough one. Yeah. And when it comes to cleansings, you never want to rush to cleansing. You know, that's why we were there for three and a half hours. We want to make sure that we ratified the issue. We didn't just get in get it done and get out in an hour yeah i mean we drove a total of three hours to this location one way so we took our time and we wanted to make sure that this issue got resolved because realistically speaking it's not feasible for myself or david or anybody else on the team to be able to make that drive in the middle of the week because we all have day jobs because we all got bills to pay unfortunately so oh God, we left what? You left your house at six. Mm-hmm. Uh, we didn't get up there till about nine. Yeah, nine o'clock. And then by the time we got done, and by the time myself got home, it was three o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. And so, I got home around four. That was after driving twenty-five, thirty miles an hour through a snow-covered canyon that the yeah, plows weren't this even all out through, yet. Like storm i mean Mm -hmm. it didn't storm until we were the end but Mm -hmm. still i mean there's a lot that goes into it just even getting to some place you know yeah but i mean the fact that we can't even really do it in the week i mean it's just it's just too far so we have to do it on the weekend and so with that being said we wanted to make sure that we crossed our t's and dotted our i's while we were there yeah because any little mistake or one miss thing that we did just give it some time and it'll come right back mm-hmm. which luckily the uh, client 
living in this location. She's not going to be there for much longer. They're actually planning on moving within the next six months. So that's always going to be a plus. Cleared any attachments on them Mm -hmm. and their house. So when they do leave, they should be good. Yep. Because there's there's two that's two different things: cleansing a house and cleansing attachments to a person. Because if you you know move from a haunted location thinking it's gonna be fine but it's attached to you wherever you go it's they're gonna still have problems agreed and realistically speaking the daughter was a lot easier than the mother the mother had a deep-rooted attachment but we were able to ratify that issue but it was kind of funny how all things kind of tied back to that particular issue that's going on on the land itself and inside the house because this this client was perfectly healthy, adrenaline junkie, and then all of a sudden, all the slew of issues came up once they moved into this house. So it made it pretty clear that they were having paranormal issues in this location. So I was glad that we were able to resolve it and everything. But it was definitely a drive, that's for sure. Yep. And it's not like we're not used to it. I mean, we've drove five six hours to a location at one point in time we've drove three of hours we drove two hours sometimes it's it's nice when the case is local to a point that we can do it over the week you know yeah but then it's also nice to be able to get just away from the area and experience something new and go into an area where we have no knowledge of and be able to to take care of the client as well yeah for me driving if it's over three hours i'm staying somewhere yeah Especially if I'm driving by myself, because yeah, Gooding was the last one I did where I we I drove there by myself. We investigated, and then I decided to drive home, and that was awful. Yeah, I I wanted to kill myself because I was like, the sun was rising, and I was like, oh no, this ain't good. I gotta put my sunglasses on, and I'm dead ass tired. Mm-hmm. And seeing everybody else stayed up there. Laura and Rebecca got a hotel room. I stayed somewhere else. David stayed, was going to stay on location, and then I found out later, after when I woke up, he drove home, and I was like, what the hell? <laughs> yeah, well, I thought about it. I was like, yeah, this would be cool, staying the, the this place by myself and everything. But then I, once I realized I didn't really bring anything to sleep there, and then I was like, well, I don't really want to spend the night here by myself i think it would have been cooler if everyone else did but i was like yeah i can drive home i'll be fine because at the time i i did feel fine Mm -hmm. but i think two hours in i was like no i'm not fine no (laughs) should have stayed yeah and that and that drive is rough especially especially from burley twin falls area all the way down to tremont it's desolate and there's not really much of anything a lot of passes that you have to go over too so it's definitely a uh, mentally draining drive, that's for sure. Yep. So what piece of equipment would you like to talk about in this episode, David? Alright, so I'm going to talk about the EDI. And if you haven't heard what it is, I can. T- it's called a meter data logger, or EDI for short. Now there's two different ones. There's an EDI and an EDI Plus. Now, essentially, just the regular EDI, all it has on it is a vibration sensor, a milligauss, and a temperature. That's it. That's the standard EDI. But the EDI Plus, I mean, I have both, but the EDI Plus 
that I think is a little bit better it has the same stuff but it has four different other things uh, it has a humidity gauge and a pressure so it, it monitors those two things and then it has a the two temperature settings uh, plus and minus and uh, when a significant drop or increase in temperature happens the light will flash in the other positive or negative or red or blue light and then when the I think it's the pressure when there's a drop in pressure or an increase in pressure a yellow light will flash on it and when the humidity level rises or lowers the green light will flash so it does a lot of the atmosphere that it records and I think that's one of my favorite things about the EDI plus that it does that mm -hmm. uh, the milligauss on it uh, I think it works good to an extent it's more good moving it around to tell where it is. I really haven't had the milligauss jump on too much stationary. But the one thing I'll say about it is the vibration sensor on it. I don't even use it. I wish it wasn't even on there because just it's sitting there by itself, not really doing anything and no one walking around it. It kind of has a little, the like the one little light on it kind of just constantly does stuff. Mm -hmm. And to get it to really move, I mean, you kind of have to like stomp. So I, I don't really like it that way. But one of the other neat little features that the EDI Plus has is there's a, a slot where you can put an SD card in it and all the stuff that you get, it monitors it and records it. And so when you take your SD card out and put it in your computer, you can see all the stuff that happened, I think in a timestamp area. So like if this goes off, it shows you like a little wave formation that this went off around this time and stuff. And you can kind of log that, okay, all this stuff happened right here. And this is the range and this is what set it off then. And if you have a camera on it, you can kind of maybe timestamp it. And so you can see when it happened, go back on your camera and see if you see anything. So it's really good for in front of a camera. Mm -hmm. I think it is. And the fact that it logs and can monitor a type of pressure and environmental stuff that you know we can only feel you know when you feel something and like oh yeah everything feels like pressures closing in or something and then the pressure on this thing goes off it's a good indication that what your body's feeling it's also measuring and sensing it on this piece of equipment so i really like it i think it's one of my one of my favorite ones that i use but definitely i only use it if we're gonna set up a camera and put it in front of a camera and monitor it that way and to me it helps having equipment in front of cameras because sometimes just looking on a screen of the same room for three hours can get very very boring and so if I have a couple different pieces of equipment I can kind of bounce back and forth and see and look on stuff then it helps me I think edit it or look through it better mm -hmm. yeah I mean it's an awesome piece of equipment I think like I agree with you I think they could have done away with uh with a vibration sensor because realistically speaking I, I get the point of the device I mean they're trying to put three or four things into one device which is awesome you try to consolidate all that so that way you're not carrying four pieces of equipment and you can just all do it in one I would have to agree with you David the, the actual vibration sensor on it is not the greatest so whenever we do use the EDI obviously we use the footstep tracker with it as well because that seems to be more sensitive, more refined, 
and it covers a bigger area, especially with the cord that comes with it and everything and the sensor that you actually physically have to put on the floor. But outside of that, it's been a great piece of equipment. We've caught numerous pieces of evidence from that piece of equipment just in general. I mean, the barometric temperature changes, uh, pressure changes, you know, if they're if the room just all of a sudden got cold or if it got hot, it will definitely notify you. And I think it's a more user-friendly as long as you understand the concept of that piece of device. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty much you can just turn it on and when a light goes off, I mean, you can tell that something's happening and you don't, you don't really need to look too much into what it means. I mean, it's pretty self-explanatory. I mean, if the light goes on for the humidity, well, there's a change in the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. You know, you just kind of, you take what it's kind of showing you and telling you that there's changes in the environment and you as a person kind of have to feel it. And what it does, it just reinsures what you're feeling Mm -hmm. to potentially leading to something paranormal. Yeah. And it's pretty cool when you stick it into a room with a camera. No one's in the room. No one's close to the room. No heaters on. No air conditioning's on. Nothing like that. So, I mean, there, there's not really any changes that should be going on in this particular room. And you just can sit there and you can watch that the temperature will go up and it will notify you. The temperature will go down, it will notify you. Barometric pressure changes, it will notify you just in that particular room. And I think that's pretty cool that it can measure all of that, particularly when you're not there. We had it where all four lights are going off. So that's, that's the other crazy thing is it's telling me that the pressure is increasing and decreasing at the exact same time. To me, that's like, well, that don't make sense. It's usually either one or the other. Yeah, So exactly. when that happens, it's a little more interesting. And then it, the other ones are going off. So all four lights are going off. The pressure is changing. The humidity is changing. The temperature is increasing and decreasing at the exact same time. That tells me that a spirit is potentially trying to manifest in that area mm-hmm. because it's, you know, putting a flux in the environment. Mm-hmm. So that, that, that's when it's really interesting to see when, when all four lights start going off. And then yeah. you, if you're in that room and you see that, you immediately feel it. Yeah. And then it's pretty cool when you have the footstep tracker right next to it and both the footstep tracker and the vibration sensor go off at the exact same time. That's also pretty cool to watch that happen as well. That further concretes that if one piece of equipment caught it, both of them caught it. It's got to be something, especially if no one's inside the building. We've had that one or two times. There's not much when it comes to the EDI that I actually, besides the vibration thing, can really debunk or disprove much of the stuff that I'm getting. Mm -hmm. The only thing that it would end up being in the end, the longer I have it, is it just starts malfunctioning or breaking down. But Mm -hmm. as of right now, I think it's working exactly how it's supposed to. And what it gets is is what I, what I get. I mean, it's everything that it's telling me. It, I I feel like it's very accurate. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Yeah, it's a it's an awesome piece of equipment to have. David both has the regular EDI and the EDI Plus, and we use them regularly on almost every investigation. Yeah, it's just one of those things where you need something placed there. I got something. We can fill it. Because we don't use every piece of equipment that we have on an investigation because we have too much. Yeah. So sometimes we, you kind of just have to cherry pick what you think's good for the moment. Yeah. 
pick and choose which one's going to be the best for that particular investigation. Sometimes we'll use the EDI, sometimes we won't. Sometimes we'll use David's uh, pyramid, both of his, sometimes we won't. Sometimes we'll use the footstep tracker, sometimes we won't. It just really depends. But that's that's it for the EDI and the EDI Plus. There's, I mean, that's about all they can do. And mm-hmm. There's not much else to cover on it but good piece of equipment um the price on it i don't know i mean where we get ours is ghost stop so i'm pretty sure it's like 200 around there mm-hmm. i have to check real quick actually right now it's on sale for 195.95 that's for the evi plus yeah and that's really not bad price for something that can do three or four things in one now obviously it is going to be spendy because like we talked about before and this is kind of a niche market so they can definitely market it up and make people pay the price for it but it's definitely worth it you'll get your money's worth out of it after six or seven investigations so it's definitely worth the investment but that's gonna do it for our episode today now this is gonna be a shorter episode since last episode was over an hour and a half long we wanted to keep it short and sweet for this one kind of balance it out and everything and like on the last episode we did move from Spreaker to Anchor so now all of our podcasts are going to be hosted just on Anchor I might be throwing some podcast episodes on Spreaker so that way it can distribute to other sources of podcasts that Anchor doesn't work with but nonetheless we made this change so that way People can listen to this six months down the road and listen from the very beginning and move or move themselves upwards because Spreaker, unfortunately, has already capped off our usage on that website because we're not paying for their premium service. So they only allowed us five and a half hours, five hours for audio recordings and then threatened to, to delete our older episodes so that way they can accommodate the new ones. So after some research and talking with David and everything we decided to go with Anchor instead we think that's going to be the better option and then we'll see how the next two or three months goes with this particular platform and then we'll just go from there but thank you so much for tuning in to us now for our next episode that's going to be coming out we're going to be talking uh, cleansing techniques and then That might be broken down into two or three different episodes, depending on how much we're wanting to talk about. It's going to be a very, very in-depth episode. And then if we have time, we'll be talking about other cases that we worked with as well, and possibly another piece of equipment, depending on how much time we have. So thank you so much for tuning in to us, and you guys have a great rest of your Monday. See ya. You are listening to the Bear River Paranormal Podcast, BRP Podcast. If you or you know of someone who is having issues with an entity or a possible haunting, please send us an email, text, or call. You can find all of our information at www.bearriverparanormal.com. We work 24-7 so we can resolve your paranormal issues quickly and as conveniently as possible. If you haven't already... 
please subscribe to Bear River Paranormal Podcast. Toss us a rating or a review. You can also find us on Facebook at BRP Podcast. If you are interested in sponsoring us, please send us a message. We look forward to hearing from you soon. Thank you for listening, and have a great rest of your day.